You're listening to The Unsunday Show. Leaving behind religious obligation to find a more authentic expression of Christ in us, this is The Unsunday Show. Hello, friends. Mikey Adams here with the Unsunday Show. Man, it is good to be back behind the microphone. It's been a while, and I've missed this right here. I've missed doing this, getting on a podcast, talking to you about things that are close to my heart, things that are on my heart, on my mind, and things that matter to me. I don't speak Christianese anymore. I don't speak religious double talk anymore. It just isn't there. It took years for that to dissolve, for that to completely diminish. I think it's completely diminished. I don't know. I certainly hope it is, but that was part of my own deconstruction. And when we talk about deconstruction, that means different things to different people, doesn't it? So I really need to define what I mean by my own deconstruction. I don't mean that I've left Jesus or that he has left me, although there have been times when I've taken a short break. But at the very heart of it, what I mean is I have shed that layer of religion that has been thrown on my back for so many years. I've come to the point of realizing that it's unnecessary. It's not needed. It's a system of bondage. It's a system that keeps you from knowing God as he truly is and as he wants us to come to know him. The body of Christ has nothing to do with religion. Religion is something extra that's been added to the body of Christ that takes away from Christ and leads us down this road of weirdness, of just weird thinking, of weird doctrine, of you know, of, of having to hold to certain tribal doctrines or tribal truths. And when I say tribal doctrine, I mean whatever doctrine or the the group that I'm a part of holds to, that's what I have to hold to. There's no room for anything but sameness in that setting. That's sameness, not sane, like insanity, but same as in we're all the same. In religion, the goal, one of the goals, one of hundreds of goals within religion is to produce sameness in everybody. And if you start thinking independently in that religious system, in that religious environment, you become dangerous. You become marked out. And it's just a matter of time until weird things start to happen to you and you get ostracized. And people you once thought were friends, you find out they really weren't. They were only there to get what they could get from you in that religious setting. But as soon as we abandon that religious setting and we realize that, hey, this is completely unnecessary, God doesn't require this of me. He doesn't require that I be part of this system. He doesn't require that I jump through all of these hoops. As soon as I realize that, and I realize how free I am apart from that, and that I don't need that, and I jettison that as part of my own deconstruction, that's when I start to lose friends. That's when I start to lose status. That's when the religious system gets mad at me, gets pissed off at me, and starts to come after me. In order to fix me, in order to grab me and bring me back into that religious system. Because again, there's only room for sameness. You have to be the same. And if you start thinking independently, that's discouraged. And not only is it discouraged, but you're viewed as some kind of heretic or something if you start to think independently. But you know what? It's okay to think independently. It's okay to think your own thoughts. The only one threatened by that is the institution itself. The religious institution itself is the only thing threatened by that. Because remember, religious institutions have to control you. If they don't control you, they're going to fall flat on their face. They're going to dissolve. 
they're going to come to nothing if they can't control the people that are in it. But that isn't Christ. Jesus said he came to relieve that burden. And remember, if the burden isn't light, it isn't Jesus. And if it isn't Jesus, it isn't the Father. Because Jesus, remember, said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. Well, all of these religious burdens that we place on, on one another's backs, you know, they take away from that. They take away from our freedom in Christ. And in place of that freedom, they place heavy loads on us that can't be borne. And so we're right back to the words that Jesus said to the Pharisees, that you place heavy burdens on the backs of people, but you don't lift a finger to try and help. So when I say that I've deconstructed out of religion, that's what I mean. I mean that I've thrown off that burden of religious duty, of religious double talk, of, of, church, of churchianity, of, of churchiness, of Christian ease, of speaking Christian ease. And I've come to realize, I've come to a point in my own life where I realize that I just don't need those things. And in fact, those things are a deterrent from Christ. Those things are a detriment to my everyday life in Jesus. And they're unnecessary. But you know, the religious institutions will tell you that they're absolutely necessary because they've got to keep you locked in. They've got to keep you right there in order to control you, in order to have the funds available, if you will, to be able to perpetuate the religious institution. That's why we have things like formal church membership and required giving or tithing, required attendance at different events, if it's a midweek thing or you know every Sunday or whatever. You're required to be at those things in order to really, the bottom line is, to support and perpetuate the religious institution. Those things have nothing to do with Jesus. That's a strong statement, but think about it for a minute. The body of Christ would continue on without those things, wouldn't it? In fact, it would be better off without those things. I'm not saying we don't see one another and we don't spend time together and we don't enjoy one another's friendship as believers. But what I am saying is that the, the religious obligation to do that has replaced the Holy Spirit's prompting to do that. Part of the religious obligations that we have involve you know, being passive in the pew. When we open the pages of the New Testament, we see the body of Christ as, as vital, as alive, as functioning, as every person in the body of Christ contributing with their spiritual gifts and encouraging one another. But when we enter the doors of a religious institution, that's not what we see, is it? We see an elevated platform with one person or a handful of people up there doing everything, and the rest of us are just kind of sitting there passively and watching the performance go on. We have the bulletin in our hand. We know what, exactly what's going to happen next. But when we look at the pages of the New Testament, it's different, because in the pages of the New Testament, there's a vitality there. The Holy Spirit is very evident in the lives of the believers there, and it shows in their functioning with one another and functioning of, of the spiritual gifts. But in modern institutional Christianity, modern institutional churches, that's not what we normally see. We normally see one person behind a podium telling us what they believe and what's important to them and what we need to be doing in order to make sure that we're conforming to whatever it is that they're saying. Well, listen, that didn't start with Jesus. That started during church history. That started about 300 AD or 350 AD when that really began to pick up and to really get momentum behind it, this one person in charge thing. You know, the, the whole clergy-laity thing is, is something that divides the body of Christ, but it's a product of religion. It's a product of religious organizations. It's not something that's from the Holy Spirit. It's not something that's in the New Testament. It isn't there. But it's present with us today. It's all over the place today, isn't it? And part of my deconstruction was coming out of that, and 
it took a long time to deconstruct some of this stuff for me, and I'm certainly not done. I haven't, I haven't plateaued or arrived at any particular point. I'm just talking about where I'm at today and where my thinking is right now today as I kind of do a relaunch here of the Unsunday show with you. So that's kind of the end of my introductory rant. Let me tell you now where the Unsunday show is going to go from here. One of the things that's most concerning to me when I talk to other believers about their interpretation of the Bible or their view of the Bible, I mean, there's so many things. I almost don't know where to start, but let me just say this at the very forefront. It seems that a lot of the misunderstanding of what God requires of me comes from a misunderstanding of the relationship between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. We think the entire Bible is for us. We just grab a verse and we go, and it gets us in trouble. Well, the New Covenant didn't start at the beginning of the New Testament. The New Covenant started at the cross. And so when we start to interpret Scripture and we start to come to Scripture with that in mind, with that lens in mind, and we begin to see the division of the Old Covenant from the New Covenant, we start to realize that not everything in the Bible is for me. And that makes a huge difference in the way we interpret things. And what it did for me, speaking from my own personal experience, is it restored a proper view of who God is. When you come to Scripture, understanding that the New Covenant is different from the Old Covenant and that there's never been a time when I've been under the law, there's never been a time when I've been under the Old Covenant. I've only been under the New Covenant. I I became a believer in 1973, and the New Covenant started way, way back at the cross. And so to begin to understand how to understand the Bible, if I can use the word understand back to back there, to begin to understand how to really understand the Bible takes a foundation of understanding the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant and how to interpret Scripture based on that difference. And so, Lord willing, in every episode of the Unsunday show, we're going to come back and highlight some point of that based on the conversation that we're having in the moment. Whatever the topic of the episode is, I want to bring that back at some point and examine it in light of Old Covenant, New Covenant, and how this fits for me today. Because I tell you, when we get our our minds and our hearts are wrapped around that, we really begin to see the freedom that we have in Jesus. We really begin to understand that we've been justified apart from law, apart from what we do. That being justified by faith really is being justified by faith, and that it's okay to be all about grace because the new covenant is a covenant of grace. It's all about grace. And so as we move forward in the Unsunday show, We're going to look at that off and on throughout every episode and ask the question, how does what we're talking about in that episode apply to this idea of Old Covenant and New Covenant? Because I think that's foundational. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and some of the podcasts that I listen to are, you know, people trying to sort out the Bible. And, you know, these are good people. They're trying to sort out what's for me and, you know, how how do I interpret this and, you know, this over here. And, There seems to be this underlying current that everything in the Bible applies to me, and everything in the Bible is for me. Well, that gets us into trouble fast, and that puts us right back in the middle of that whole religious obligation thing. Because religious obligation isn't based on faith. It's based on how much you do and are you doing it right. I know. I've been there. I've done that. And you probably have too. So that'll be, you know, something that we address a lot in here as we move ahead and as we sort things out, as we open different passages of Scripture and we ask ourselves, what do we do with this? How does this apply to me? Does it apply to me? And what do I do with it? Let me give you some topics that I've been looking at that I want to talk to you about in future episodes 
Number one, and these are in no particular order. I don't know what order I'm going to do these in yet. But number one is, who has bewitched you? You remember Paul's words in Galatians to the believers in Galatia. He said, who has bewitched you? And so one of my podcast episodes is going to, is going to be church, who has bewitched you? And we're going to talk about this Old Covenant, New Covenant stuff, and we're going to talk about the law, we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments in that episode. Another topic that I want to discuss with you is, what is orthodox? What is orthodoxy? What is that anyway? Who decides what it is? Why are there so many different orthodoxies out there? Somebody's right and somebody's wrong, and does it really matter? Or does that just feed this whole notion of religious obligation that you know we need to re- reconsider or rethink? I also want to talk to you at some point about the danger of sameness. I've mentioned that already, being the same. You know, the whole idea of conformity to the group think or to the group think tank, that we all have to be the same. We all have to believe this and we all have to believe this and we all have to believe this. Well, what if I start thinking independent of that and all of a sudden I'm not really finding myself thinking that anymore? What if I'm finding myself among the few who aren't the same? And so we'll talk about the dangers of sameness. And right on the heels of that and going along with that, I want to talk to you again about tribal doctrine. I know I've mentioned that in here, and we used to mention that on a Grace Cafe podcast quite a bit. But what is tribal doctrine, and why does it, why does it hurt? You know, by tribal doctrine, again, I mean the doctrine of whatever group I'm finding myself in. If I'm in a Reformed group, I have a certain set of tribal doctrine. If I'm in some other non-reformed group, I have a completely different set of tribal doctrine. What if I cross over? What if I go from one to the other? Why is tribal doctrine important? Or is that really something that's part of the religious garb that perhaps we need to shed? And of course, tied right into that, I just want to remind ourselves as we move through here that it's always okay to think for yourself. It's okay to have independent thoughts. It's okay to ask questions. But it's not okay in a religious setting most of the time, unless the questions that you're asking lend themselves to you going deeper into the religious setting that you find yourself in. If you start asking questions that would lead you outside of that religious system, you're dangerous, and there's going to be trouble ahead for you. Then something that I hear from time to time is this whole idea of falling from grace. What does it mean to fall from grace? What did Paul mean when he said, you've fallen from grace? I also want to look at the priority of the institutional church setting. You know, the priority of the institutional church setting is the institutional church setting. The whole thing is built and designed toward perpetuating the institutional church setting. Man, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about that in different episodes and a lot of different contexts. Then we're going to talk about the ambush. Have you ever been ambushed? I have. I've been ambushed several times. I've been ambushed in pastor's meetings where I thought I was going there for one thing, but really the thing, the agenda was hidden from me until the last minute. And then all of a sudden you're kind of ganged up on, you're ambushed and all these darts are coming out at you and you're wondering, where did this come from? I call those an ambush. And those ambushes are necessary in the religious environments that we're in in order to keep us inside those religious environments. So we'll talk about ambushes and the power of the ambush and what they're designed to do and how you can get out of an ambush if you find yourself in one. Something that we've talked about in here already that we're going to bring up again from time to time is the Word of God. You know, what is the Word of God? Or maybe we should say, who is the Word of God? Is the Bible the Word of God? Well, the Bible never calls itself that, but the Bible does reserve that phrase, Word of God, for Jesus. And so again, we're going to come back to that topic as is fit. 
Another topic that I hope to discuss from time to time is the centrality of the pastor and of the whole clergy-laity distinction. You know, there's another layer of religiosity that has separated us from them. Did you know that in the New Testament there is no centrality of the pastor? Did you know that in the New Testament the, the term laity doesn't exist? But the term clergy does, but it's not used for a certain uh, caste within the body of Christ, a certain special group. It's used for the entire body of Christ. And so we need to talk about that and examine that because the whole centrality of the pastor and the clergy-laity distinction has been handed to us by church history, by church tradition. It's outside the New Testament. It has nothing to do with the body of Christ. It is another way to separate us within the body of Christ and to keep us in this religious environment where we think it's necessary, but it's not necessary. So we'll be talking about that along the way as well. Another favorite topic of mine, and if you've been listening to the Young Sunday Show, you already know this, has to do with the law and do I need to be obeying the Ten Commandments. What does the New Testament say about the Ten Commandments? Not the Old Testament, but the New Testament. In the New Covenant, what do I do with the Ten Commandments? We'll be spending a lot of time talking about that here and there as we move through different episodes. I also, at some point, want to talk to you about the origin of sermons. You know, sermons are foreign to the New Testament. Yeah, we call Matthew 5-7 through the Sermon on the Mount, but there were no sermons in the New Testament. Sermons came from Greek rhetoric. It's foreign. It's an idea that's foreign in the New Testament. There wasn't one person, you know, running the whole show like we have the modern-day pastor doing and the the sermon being the, the centrality or the center point or the hub of our time together. That was given to us by church history, and yet we think that it's, it's sacred. We think that it's somehow the way things are supposed to be, and we're afraid to move away from it because we think maybe God will be angry with us, or he'll be disappointed in us, or you know, we'll be doing something sinful maybe. You know, who knows what we're thinking? But the idea of the sermon and the centrality of the sermon is given to us again by church history, not by anything in the New Testament. In fact, it takes away, doesn't it, from the functioning of every believer within the body of Christ, because we sit passive and listen to the sermon. And the sermon is usually loaded with some kind of to-do list, something to help perpetuate the system that we find ourselves in, or the church organization that we find ourselves in, to perpetuate that even further. And it uses guilt and manipulation with the fear of punishment in order to get its point across. But man, there's a lot to be said there, because again, that's part of that religious system that, in my opinion, has nothing to do with the body of Christ. Another thing that I hear from time to time, I used to hear this all the time a few years ago, but since I've kind of pulled myself out of that whole religious system, I don't hear it that much anymore, but I know it's out there because I I hear it being talked about in other groups, and I read about it, and I see that it's there, and I've seen it in church history, is the whole idea of law and gospel. You know, what's the relationship to the law and gospel? We need to know that. That's part of our understanding of, of the difference between the new covenant and the old covenant. Does God require me to keep part of the law? Does God require me to keep the Ten Commandments? Those are important questions that need to be answered. And so as we proceed through the On Sunday show and we talk about the differences between New Covenant and Old Covenant, we'll be, un, we'll be exposing new layers of that. We'll be uncovering layers of that as we move through the show. So you can see that we have a lot of information to talk about. We have a lot of subjects on the plate to talk about, and I can't wait to get to those with you and see where the Lord takes it in our conversations. So be warned, if you continue to listen to the Unsunday show, 
you're going to be inundated with thinking that's outside the religious norm. Because the On Sunday Show truly is a religion-free zone. Hey, thanks for listening in, and I look forward to our next talk together. And until then, y'all take care. Thank you for joining us on the On Sunday Show. To be a part of this ongoing conversation, visit us online at unsunday.com.